Meh. Okay. So hello and welcome to the business behind small business, whether you're selling or staying, we're here to remind you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Tiffany Kao. Uh, there's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. I said your name for you, but you could speak for yourself. I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I have a voice. Well, to- I have a voice. Yes, you do. Okay, so today's uh, episode is going to be about what do you do um, or what to expect when you're running a business pulling in, say, 10000 a 100000 um, 500,000, a million, 5 million, 10 million, where we're hoping that all of our listeners' businesses are going to get up to 10 million or more. Um, what do you do when you are pulling that level of revenue? How do you build it? Uh, what do you do to prepare for it once it happens? So we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, what impl- what you need to implement, what you need, what you probably don't need, and how to prepare for that. So before we begin, please note our disclaimer. This is available in both our show notes and on our website and should be referred to before and or after this podcast. So take it away. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. Yep. So first of all, I think we decided on this topic because I think you and I are kind of the same where like we like to know what lies ahead. Like we know mm-hmm. what to, like we like to know what to expect. We know like to know what to prepare for. And like I feel like sometimes people judge that as in like, oh, you know, you're trying to prepare too much or you're being a perfectionist. But to me, I'm kind of like, look, if the information's out there and all it takes is for me to Google search it or listen to a podcast, like why would I not do that if it's so easy just to be ready? Yeah. Right. So as much as I like it when like, you know, I'm a little bit weird where like if my back's up against the wall, like especially during my business, like I'm actually kind of (laughs) excited. That actually excites me. The uncertainty does kind of excite me, but I'm also like not one to just like run out there completely like, you know, gung-ho about doing something and not doing any of my homework that is readily available to me. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so anyways, that was the origin of how we came up with today's topic. Mm-hmm. And um, at least for me, when I thought about this, I thought about it from two perspectives, kind of like more of like the features of a business at every level. And then also like the mindset of the business owner at each of these levels. Mm-hmm. And so starting with 10K in revenue, oh, this is such a good time. So if you're about 10K in revenue, I feel like you're still in an experimental phase of your business, right? Like, uh-huh. You're probably doing everything yourself because, well, you only you only pull in 10K. So I assume that you kind of have to do everything yourself. And you're probably providing whatever service you have to your customer yourself, right? So if you have something like an e-commerce uh, site, you're watching that. You're probably fixing it. You're monitoring it. Anyways, you're doing it all on your own. So you're probably getting some help from like Shopify or Wix or Squarespace or one of those platforms. But you're kind of your own like manual labor at this point trying to keep your costs low because you're very self-funded and your revenue is still kind of low, but it's super exciting at this level because I feel like you, first of all, are excited at every single sale you make (laughs) at this point because you're just starting out. It's just that first customer, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. It's just that first customer that buys from you who, you know, is not your mom, not your dad, not your family, not your friend, like somebody you absolutely do not know actually buying something from you, you will always remember that first customer. And it's like a super exciting time. Mm-hmm. So then let's say you are at 100K. 
So I feel like 100K, you're looking at your business definitely a little more seriously now, right? After all, like bringing in 100K is no small feat. So, you know, kudos to you. Um, I'm assuming that you're probably growing this organically. So, which means that most of the money you're making, you're probably putting it right back into the business. I would expect that there's probably a little bit of a virtual assistant VA kind of helping out with some of the more administrative and more tedious tasks. And you're probably outsourcing some other work, like maybe some light marketing, accounting work, maybe a little bit more on legal. So, you know, all those free templates you pulled off online when you were at 10K, you probably want a lawyer to look over it now, (laughs) now that you have a little money to spend to get a real lawyer to look over it. And at this point, it's great because I feel like at 100K, that's where I see business owners really gaining confidence in their business. They feel really good. They're like, hey, I'm actually pulling in serious money. And you're starting to think about, okay, what else can I do with this? How far can I grow this? And this kind of allows like most business owners to kind of figure out what their groove is. You know, it's no longer an experiment. It's something that's kind of real. And, you know, they're probably going to put in maybe a full-time effort, if not definitely a lot more effort than they did before, because it's no longer kind of a side hustle. All right. And I apologize in advance to everybody who listened to me. I'm getting over a cold. So if I sound all nasally or I'm sniffling, sorry, I'm going to try to mute myself whenever I sniffle, but (laughs) (laughs) all right. Just apologies. You don't, you don't sound. All right. So let's talk about. You sound lovely. You sound lovely to me. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I feel like I sound terrible in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh. I was just praying that it was going to be like normal enough for this. Um, okay. So let's talk about 1 million. So, I mean, a jump from a hundred thousand a year to a million is like no joke, right? Like that is like crazy good. What you just did. It's really hard to get over that gate to get to the first million. And at this point, if you hit 1 million, you probably have already invested in people like the people in your business, getting the right people in the right seats. And you're developing processes, which is our favorite word, right, Savannah? My favorite word always. (laughs) Come on, right? But you're definitely developing processes and you're putting some attention, if not a lot of attention, into the marketing of your business. You probably have a handful of full-time employees or you're probably you're probably getting beyond like maybe 20 like part-time employees if not independent contractors at this point if that's kind of the model that you work on and you're starting to feel the need for HR <laughs> now i will tell you there are plenty of companies who have this many people and no HR but i highly do not re- recommend it but it can <laughs> be done it's probably time you're thinking about HR. So you're probably either outsourcing it. So you have a part-time fractional HR or there's somebody in-house you're able to kind of promote or, you know, essentially just stick it on their plate, to be quite honest. Again, I don't know if I would recommend that, but I've seen that done before. Now, you also have probably out- other outsource teams. So you most likely have an outsourced accounting team at this point. You probably even outsource your sales team, even if it is a very small team, because you are able to kind of keep the pipeline coming in of sales in order to keep growing your business. I'm glad he agrees with me. Uh, (laughs) What was that? I don't know why she is just going. So sorry about that. It's okay. She's excited. (laughs) Me too. I, you know, getting to 1 million is something to be excited about. Um, <laughs> other things you probably have is you probably have some kind of funding outside yourself at this point. So most likely you have a line of credit that you have from the bank and you're probably taking home pretty decent money, um, even though there is still a large portion of the money being reinvested back into the business. 
And don't be surprised that at the million dollar level, when you get there, you start feeling like you're putting out way too many fires. But at this point, you kind of feel adequate enough that you feel like there's a way to prevent these fires. And the answer is by putting more structure in your business. So again, our favorite word, Savannah, is processes. Processes. <laughs> so process, processes, policies, a somewhat a structure routine to things. This is where you know a business owner typically at the million dollar level really start looking at these things because they realize what they've been doing all this time up to a million isn't going to get them to the next million or the million after that. So processes and policies and routines kind of come to the forefront of your attention at that point. Now, the great thing is at this time as a business owner, I feel like if you find it a little bit easier to kind of carve out time for you to work on your business, right? Because you're making substantial revenue at this point. You have a team that's supporting you as the business owner. You have a little bit more time to basically uh, maybe do that quarterly retreat, maybe that monthly retreat, uh, maybe go off offsite with your partners to really talk about the strategy of the business instead of just doing like tactile stuff every, every day. And, you know, this is when you also start, you know, talking really seriously about things like customer journeys and customer pipelines and upsells and employee retention and company culture. And then this is also the point where I have always, always seen like a flip in like the mindset of business owners where numbers become everything. They're basically yeah. like, how do I track everything? Because mm-hmm. I need to know how to get to the next level. And in order for me to do that, it can't be kind of like on my gut feeling only. I need actual numbers. So mm-hmm. then you start thinking about softwares and ways that you can actually track maybe your sales, <laughs> maybe how your employees are being productive, everything. And so even if a business owner isn't inclined to look at the numbers or want to look at the numbers at this point, because the business is going so well and progressing so well, this is a time where your numbers become their best friend, even if it is a love hate relationship. And the other thing I do see around this level is if you already haven't is you're already actively seeking out like peers in your, you know, business arena. So people who are maybe at the same level that you're producing or, um, or in a similar, in the same industry as you to really start getting ideas and being supported by other business owners that are like you. Mm -hmm. And you're also actively seeking out mentors um, because, you know, you're starting to realize the importance of gaining knowledge and gaining strategy and learning from others at this level. A mentor is is really beneficial. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I would imagine you probably already have one before you get to a million, but you know, it's really around this time where I think, having a mentor becomes very impactful to who you are as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about 10 million. So again, huge jump from 1 million to 10 million. I think we picked I mean, these numbers. Like, we likely have a couple of steps in between, but. I was going to say, there's a few. Yeah. So I feel like we kind of crossed the bridge. There's a bridge here that I think between a one and 10 that many business owners struggle at. And I would like to say that, in my observation, it's usually around the five to seven, maybe $8 million, right? I don't really know why exactly happens around here, but it's typically where I've seen it happen. Um, And that's because like, you know, either like between a one and 5 million, the business is investing in resources. So time, people, or just, you know, streamlining their processes and like all parts of their business. And that's the reason why it kind of hits around a 5 million. Cause that's what you're doing between a one and five, but essentially like 
everything every time I see a business hit this five to seven, eight million, they realize that whatever they built up to this stage, they almost have to take apart to like rebuild it into something greater. It's like up till now, and even if you're actively thinking about it, I think the business kind of changes, the aspect kind of changes where everything you've been putting together, which is usually like a patchwork of processes. So mm-hmm. something blows up and you're like, okay, we're going to find a way to go process size that and figure it yeah. out. And then this other thing blows up. You're like, okay, let's go, let's go put a bandaid on this and this will work. Well, all this will, you know, basically intersect to a point where you realize it's just not working anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you basically have to like tear down all of it to base, to uh, streamline it again and then rebuild it back up. Mm-hmm. And this is why this part is so crucial. And, Companies who do that well get to the 10 million and companies who don't tend to kind of stay at this level, if not fall back and regress back to prior to five. Yeah. What do you think, Savannah? I, I see oh, you nodding. Yeah. So you've seen the same yeah. pattern? I Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that pattern, the the level of revenue tends to yeah. coincide with amount of time in business, <clears throat> excuse me, and the amount of people you have working in the company. Yes. Yes. And maybe that's what it is, is because you have much more people working, right? And usually at this point, companies are bringing up somebody to help the business owner at their level. So maybe another executive, like a CFO or CTO or COO. And you certainly have like higher level managers or directors or VPs all helping to support the company. And because there are more people involved, you're starting to realize that a lot of the process you put in place when there were less people or less levels now all of a sudden doesn't work anymore at the level you're at. Mm -hmm. And so- yeah, you have to like take a hard look to essentially try to simplify everything in order to 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 grow it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> simplify it and simplify the message. Simplify the message. Simplify the message. Simplify the message that you are sending out to all the people that work for you on every mm. level. Yeah, to make sure yeah. that everyone and probably even they probably to their customers too, right? I think I feel yeah, like it's yeah, definitely. Really- yeah, I feel like it's rare for me to see a company like crossing from the five to 10 where they basically end up offering more products mm-hmm. or services. I feel like at this point, they typically niche down like really hard. Like they figured out what they're really good at and mm-hmm. they're just doubling down, tripling down on that. And so if anything, they kind of shrink the number of revenue lines that they have, the service, the products that they offer, because mm-hmm. again, it goes to your theme of simplifying. Yeah. Uh, which seems kind of anti-intuitive. You would think that you want more in order to grow more, but it's actually doing less to actually grow more. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it to me is like, um, oh, I can't think of the word, but it's like when you're, you know, making Kool-Aid and you add too much water, basically, it just becomes more water than it is Kool-Aid. So when you drink it, you're like, where's the Kool-Aid? But you dilution? You, that's the word. Ah. <laughs> There you go. You know, every time I can't remember a word, I'm always like, listen, people, this is my second language. I can't, I can't blame it on that, but that's what I'm choosing. You can still use it, apparently. I'm going to use it. Anyway, so that, yeah, there's a level of dilution that happens. So you don't want people to be like, okay, I don't get it. Do you do this or do you do that? Because now you're, Mm -hmm. you're reaching a much broader market. Hopefully you're reaching a much broader market. You want your message to be simple. You want your products to be simple. Your offering to be simple. Everything needs to be more simple because you need to be able to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Exactly. And if you don't, then you tend to become stagnant or go backwards. Yes. You don't yeah. want to do what you want to do. And I've seen this. 
And I've seen this time and time again. I mean, again, you and I are in odd, unique positions where we get to see the inside of a company and we get to see many of them because mm-hmm. of the, of the, uh, of the businesses we had or have. Mm-hmm. So like I have seen this time and time again. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They'll either stagnate or they'll regress because they simply can't get over that mark. To mm-hmm. hit that 10. But once they hit that 10, I mean, again, like, I feel like business owners who hit that $10 million mark, I mean, not that any of them before them, but like them going through all these levels, I feel like they are so like creative. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so strong when they get out on the, come out the other end. It's, it's oh, just yeah. a really amazing transformation to watch. And I've mm-hmm. certainly had the pleasure of seeing uh, companies grow through those different stages just mm-hmm. by our, our businesses alone. And it is a transformation that you see, uh, mm-hmm. you see like the business owners undergo once they hit that 10 million mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And uh, that's something that I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking about. Um, so I'm not going to speak as much on the money aspect of it as in the revenue part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about stages a little bit more. So likely in the beginning stages of your business, you're working on your own or you're working with a partner. And it's not uncommon to be responsible for the turning of the wheels, right? I mean, you kind of mentioned that too. So generally you're either working by yourself, you're doing all of the things, or if you have a partner, it's just the two of you doing everything. Um, The problem is, is when many businesses start to see a rapid level of growth, they don't get out of the startup mindset. Uh, I've seen it so many times with businesses that just can't, they can't part with their money. Either they're they're not willing to uh, pay for someone else to do these tasks, or they're not willing to let go of control. Um, if you're drowning in those tasks, it can easily be outsourced or hi- hired in. So we're going to start with the whens, and then we're going to get to the hows. So there are four general stages in business. So one is startup, two is growth, uh, three is maturity, and then there's renewal or decline. So either you're going to renew your business, like we were just talking about, either renew your business, rebrand maybe, or or mm-hmm. come up with a newer a new path that fits your growth, or you're going to become stagnant, or you're going to decline. So as a startup, you generally don't have a whole lot of capital to work with. And most likely you don't have a lot of experience either. Uh, and But, you know, sometimes there are some startups. I have a couple of clients who started up, started with a lot of capital, but they had no experience whatsoever. Uh, you may know how to do what your company is known for. Maybe, um, Maybe you're, uh, you know how you're a photographer and you have a f- photography company, so you know how to do photography mm-hmm. really well. But it's all the business behind that that's a, a puzzle to you. Or maybe you're really good at plumbing, or really good at being a handyman or uh, a handy person. But you or don't in know. our area, you're talking about a lot of people in SaaS companies, right? They're really great at developing yes. the the app, the platform, whatever the case may be, but have and could be really well funded, but don't have the Absolutely. experience to back that up. And then oh, also yeah. uh, government contracting companies, right? Because again, oh my gosh. zero to however many million, because you get the contract. But you know, between that zero and ten million, you you yeah. didn't have the the years in between to actually you know build your business acumen. And the thing about that is that most government contractors do go from zero to ten million overnight. So uh, it's crucial at this stage to confide in. Uh, or have a, someone to mentor you on the best processes mm-hmm. process for hiring. Personally, I think the best people to hire at the stage are contracted bookkeeper and a contracted admin. Not because I'm in the not because I'm in the industry, but because of what <sighs> I have seen to companies that haven't done that. Uh, 
maybe a content writer too, if you plan on using social media as a form of marketing for your business. So you're probably saying, well, if, if I do this, why, why do you suggest that? Why are you suggesting this? So because a bookkeeper is going to be a long-term investment in your company's financial health. Contracted bookkeepers can work with you on a budget so you can make it fit into your operational costs. A contracted admin should be able to do the same. You know, maybe you don't quite have um, quite have the capital for it, or you don't have uh, the ability to afford the overhead. So contracting these two, they're both very essential to your to the growth of your company, but will also be helpful to you as you're trying to, you know, pay for <laughs> all of the well, things. I, yeah, and I feel like most owners aren't one aren't well versed in accounting enough or bookkeeping enough to do their own books. Let's just be yeah. honest. And oh, two, yeah. they see what um, admins do and bookkeepers do as super tedious, and it's usually mm -hmm. not in their wheelhouse or their interest to do. Mm -hmm. Like I would say that you probably need also somebody to help you with your marketing, social media marketing at this stage, yeah, so that people absolutely. know that you're in business. But most people are more inclined and find that more fun than it is to sit down to do your books every day. So oh, for sure, that's just the sure. truth of it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's especially true if you don't quite have a brick or more brick and mortar yet. So, you know, if you're working from your basement or you're working from a shared space or, you know, whatever it may be, it maybe the space is only big enough for you and, and your partner, let's say. So um, both or all three can work remotely as you concentrate on your business. So mm -hmm. speaking of growing, the next stage growth presents a new set of challenges. It may be time to hire employees, contractors, uh, a manager, etc. If you haven't yet, it's time to consider hiring an HR person or a firm. In-house may not yet be necessary, but maybe con contract at first and then consider hiring in-house once you get beyond 50 employees. Uh, there is a major difference between under 50 and over 50. Uh, there are different um, liabilities that are required of you. There are just all of these different things that are required of you. So uh, consider how big your company is to make that determination. Hopefully at this point, your company has gotten most of its wiggles out and you've weathered some not great but manageable storms you're likely smooth sailing now. You like like all this? <laughs> anyway, it's easy to fall into the maintenance trap. A lot of companies get stuck here. You stop seeking new business. You settle for less. And um, it, frankly, it's easy. It's predictable. Uh, honestly, in the long run, it's not sustainable. So this is where we were talking about becoming stagnant or, yeah. you know, just, just sustaining. You're, you're probably tired too. You've been doing so much for so long that you just want to take a break. So you're, you're just sustaining now. You're just maintaining, but you know, you have to keep growing because as the saying goes, if you're not growing, you're dying. So how do you keep from dying? That sounds like a very morbid statement, but okay. I know, but, but you know, it, it's true. If, if you're not going to move forward, you're going to regress. So how, how do you stop from falling backwards? Well, you have to refine your processes. You have to update your procedures. It may even be time to update your logo, update your message, uh, your website, your brand, you know, all of the things. 
Uh, it's what I did when my company was 10 years old. Uh, everything about my company screamed early 2000s. And um, one person said, it's like the 90s. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so <laughs> That's, That is not a compliment for sure. <laughs> oh, this, this, your logo looks like it came from the 90s. I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, I... I had to review, you know, uh, I had to review it because although all these nostalgic things, they come back around in fashion, it, th that doesn't happen in business. So I had to think about what it is that made my company tick. Um, and you should too. You've learned a lot in these years and you likely don't hold the same beliefs as you did when you started. You've hired, you've fired, you've made clients happy, you've made them very angry. And now you know how to assess risk. <laughs> <laughs> you you know sure. how you'll, you'll definitely piss off a few people along the way. <laughs> totally. But you know, the funny thing is, is that you've learned what to do when you make someone angry, which you probably didn't know so much when you first started out. Um, mm. I, I also suggest that this be the time that you review your insurance policies, your utilities expenses, your credit cards, your loan fees. If you're leasing your space or any items for your companies, take a look at those too. See if you can get better rates to save money. Most often we set and forget, right? We mm -hmm. will have a, a payroll company for the last however many years because we like them, they feel comfortable, but maybe we could have been getting a better deal from somewhere else. It's good to review these things, especially as you grow, because I do find that the companies that, are, that we service the larger they get, the more they pay attention to what they're spending. Because um, if you think of it this way, if your company is making a small profit and you have small debt, it's painful, but manageable. But if your company is now making one, five, $10 million or more, those debts or those hidden fees can be in the thousands. And I've seen them. It can hurt your bottom line. So side note, I, I hate that saying. I really hate that, the bottom line. Also, that bottom line and circle back. I hate both of those, but really, I don't know how else to convey my name. What else is on your list? Okay. I, that's it. Just those two. Are we on the same page? Is that else on your list? <laughs> Do you not I like, like that? Either? I like same page. I just don't like, <laughs> let's circle back or let's put a pin in it. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I noted, I, you know, I feel like I, I mean, use all those phrases, but not, yeah. not. That's because I don't know what to replace it with. I don't know either, but I don't like them. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that they're not used in the in the movie Office Space, but it just makes me think of that. Like, yeah, okay, that'd be great. I don't know. Um, whatever. Don't listen to me. Listen to me, but don't listen to also me. Also a great movie, so, Office Space. Totally a great movie. I mean, that probably should be what you watch before you get your business license because you should know what kind of boss you should be. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> what not to do, <laughs> what not, not to be. Yes. This will so, be the consequences of what your employees will do to you. If you totally, exactly. Well, I find myself doing that all the time. Like if you could do that, that'd be great. <laughs> and sometimes I do it on purpose to see if anyone catches me, but no one ever catches me. They're always like, okay. <laughs> anyway, I only find myself, only I find myself amusing apparently. So moving on. Who should be on your team now? Uh, a supervisor or supervisors, manager or managers, an office admin, an executive admin, a C-suite, so a CFO, a CEO, a CMO, a COO, a bookkeeper, an accountant, 
a CPA, a financial mm-hmm. advisor. These are all the people, oh, and an HR director and a payroll department. That could be one person or it could be a full-on department. This is what I'm suggesting. If you have reached somewhere between 7 million and 10 million, if you're going to get beyond that 10 million mark, you need to have any one of this comb- these people or this combination or all of the above in order for your company to advance from that point on. Depending on your market or field, you may also need a QC, so a, co- a quality control person as well. I suggest you have a QC person well before that, but you may need a whole QC department depending on your industry or you know if you're providing products or um, something that requires safety measures or li- or has a level of liability attached to it. Each of these people are important to the inner core of your company and will keep your con- company on that continuous rise. Uh, the biggest thing to keep in mind, and listen carefully, because it's a whole lot easier to say than do, is to trust your ability to hire the right people and let it go. Just <laughs> let it go. Well, there's a lot of layers between you and most people at the stage, right? As the owner, you have to, right? Because you can't, you can't be in everything at the stage. I mean, you can try. You can promise you, you will be the reason why your company's not growing. I have Uh, seen it happen with very large companies. I see it so often that businesses will suffer, and ultimately, you you have to let go of control. Well, this is where the process comes in play, right? Would you agree with this? Like. The way I see it is most of the time the owners don't let go of control because they don't trust the process, which is probably non-existent, uh, that's in place to help them still keep control from afar or at least keep tabs, not control, yeah. but at least a sense of awareness from mm-hmm. afar. And because they don't have that in place, they feel like they have to be a part of everything because that's yeah. the only way. You have to trust your own due diligence in hiring the right people for the right positions and let them do what you've hired them to do so you can concentrate on growth growing and flourishing. So, you know, and I'm not saying that you need to ignore your company or that you need to walk away from your company. Uh, There are some parts of the company that I have seen business owners will not let go of control of. And a lot of times it's the accounting part of it. Or if the, and it's been very frustrating with some people over the years where I'm like, just let us do our job, man. Or it'll be that, or it will be a, um, honestly, it'll sometimes be a a parent who is bequeathing the company, who is, you know, sending the company off with their kid, but the parent will not leave. And, you know, like the company is being run by the kid. The kid is doing a great job. The kid's not a kid. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the, the Just a younger or, generation, I think. Yeah. That's what you, mean, you know, like you know? the son or the daughter has some great ideas. And we've even, we've even been in situations where we're having a great conversation about their bold ideas. And yeah, they do tend to take more risks with things. And frankly, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let somebody just go off with a, a super risky without saying, Hey, this is super risky. Right. But sometimes I have seen it when, uh, the person who once owned the business or, you know, the, the parent is like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Calling me back and saying, you know, whatever ideas he or she had, we're not doing that. Oh, they undermine them. Oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. I, haven't, I haven't seen so much of that, but I have seen, um, and I guess in my experience, mostly owners tend to have a little harder time letting go of the sales part mm-hmm. of things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if maybe it's because, I mean, of course, the relationship with customers are incredibly important. And I think maybe that's why they have a little hard time, like letting go of that part. So, you know, you see them kind of pop up on sales mm-hmm. meetings and always needing a final say on things, even though they probably have a great team um, working for them. Yeah. 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 So if your company is going to grow, then you have to let it go. I just oh, <laughs> you, yeah, you waited for that one. Okay. I sure you, did. You, you, you were holding on to that one. <sighs> Sometimes I'm just so witty. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <Wait>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but it's true. You do have to let go to, of some aspects of the company and really truly concentrate on the things that you know you're good at. For example, I know in my company, I'm really good at the sales part of it. I'm really good at the marketing part of it. And there are other aspects of it that are small, but still my responsibility. I know that I have hired the right people for the right positions because I hired them. It was my processes that uh, vetted them, if you will. So I trust they're able to do their part for the the betterment of the company. And they trust that I can do my part for the betterment of the company. Because in the end, we all are really employees of this business. Even me, who started the company, right? Like I'm still uh, an employee of the company. It stands separate from me. And it's my responsibility to grow it. So I would say that because I know you and I know how process-driven you are. I would also say that you do get a sense you have the ability to also let go because you've built in controls in your process and you know mm-hmm. what those controls are. Yeah. That's why you do let go because you you know that these built in controls, whether they're preventive or they're, you know, after fact detective controls or anything like that, like you already know these are gates that will trigger. And if something does go wrong, you already have a way to flag it, right? Or mm-hmm. somebody in your, or somebody, it's kind of built into your hierarchy or your organizational, like, you know, hierarchy or whatnot. So I think- to be clear, like that's why you can, because you've already put in it upfront work of designing a process that is accurately and like um, um, appropriately designed. I guess that's a better word for it. It's appropriately designed with all the controls in place for you still for you to get that peace of mind to be able to step back and let it go. So it's not like you were just like, I'm I'm done today, guys. It's all yours, right? Yeah, it's figure it out, right? Yeah, no, there's there's none of that. No, there's none. There's actually a lot of intention and uh, hard work on a background, which I've seen a lot of, you know, because of what we do, we're part of too, but, you know, owners just spend a lot of time on this and nobody really talks about it because it's, I'm sorry, it's not really that that exciting, right? Like, it, it's kind of boring and it's really tedious and nobody talks about it. But I think that's kind of one of the hidden secrets that, you know, business owners end up finding out for themselves along the way, especially at that 5 mm-hmm. million mark, that this is where they need to put their focus on if they choose to step away and allow their business to kind of grow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so shall we move on to the raw truth? Let's do it. Uh, all right. Welcome to a new segment. And I'm only going to call it a new segment for not much longer, but it is still new. <laughs> episode three. What are we on episode? I think we're on episode three we're of the season. Three. So, right. so like yeah, you, you got a couple more to go before you have to, yeah. you know, it just becomes a, segment. It's a new segment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. The raw truth where we will each share our own gritty experience with today's topic. We want you, the listeners, to know that success isn't easy and it's not pretty and it's not a straight line. 
We hope you will hear our cautionary tales and learn from them. Oh, this one's so good. Um, hmm. So because I'm me and I'm impatient <laughs> and um, yeah, no, I'm definitely impatient. And I do have this drive about me where I, my motto is, you know, why do in five years you can do in two, right? So, which gets me in all sorts of trouble like this. Um, so essentially like every business owner has to go through the stages you were talking about, Savano. They have to, right? And some and so I know we were I was putting like a number to it, like the one like ten thousand, a hundred thousand, you know, a million, ten million, right? That's just to kind of, you know, give a benchmark, but it doesn't always happen that linear, right? But some business maybe take like 20 years to go through all the stages or even get to 10 million. And then some businesses like take like 18 months, right? But regardless of how long, um, how long you've your business gets to that mark, you still have to go through those stages, which means that if you're doing an 18 month, you're just compressing all that learning into 18 months. It doesn't mean you get to skip any of it, which is, which is what I found out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I did in my head is uh, my first business for me, I always saw it as kind of like my training ground to be an entrepreneur and to be a business owner, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to do this in the shortest amount of time, try to learn all the lessons that a business owner should know as early as I can, right? So I kind of, I mean, seriously, because this is who I am, sat down and thought about, okay, you know, what are the problems businesses get into at the 1 million level? What's the problems they get into at the 5 million level, right? And I kind of wanted to anticipate that and see what I could do today to kind of get ready for that so that I'm not having like, I'm not having problems at the 5 million level when I get to the $5 million level. Right. Like I just feel like it just becomes a bigger problem. Right. So, you know, that was kind of my thinking. So the good news is uh, by the time I sold my business, I feel like I went through a lot of the stages. I didn't go through all of them, but I went pretty far up. So I think that helped me in terms of learning all the lessons and <laughs> they weren't easy or cheap to learn. Uh, <laughs> learning all the lessons in a less than 10, 10 year period of time. Right. But I will never recommend that to anybody. That was, that was incredibly expensive to do because usually when you go through these levels and the growth and the amount of effort and resource you need to put in to maybe have the processes in place at a, like a $1 million level, $1 million level that you're getting prepared for $5 million level. It takes a lot of money. It takes hiring people. It takes knowledge. It takes time. It takes a lot of money. So if you're not at the level where you can go to a bank and get a nice bank loan, or you can get investors or anything like that, and you're bootstrapping it yourself and you're privately funded, like I was, you just end up, you know, having to, having to foot the bill for all of that. And so it, I guess my truth is the fact that there is something to accelerating like your learning uh, to go through all these different stages as a business owner, but there is definitely a, a downside to it as well. Right. And so on the flip side, um, I think that like when companies get a lot of money and they don't go through these stages fast enough, they end up just wasting all that money too. Right. Like, because they don't know how to, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with all this money and going through these, like going, like basically giving somebody who really has like the, um, experience of a company that's in a startup phase, but giving them the amount of money that they would have in like the growth and maturity phase. And they're like, Whoa, 
what do I do with this? I think this is this is why we end up getting free lunches for employees. <laughs> right? You just don't know what to do with the money. Like you don't know how to handle it to get the most out of it. <laughs> uh, totally. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is there, there's no there's no way for you to get around these stages. You have to learn it. Just know that, you know, it it's it's hard. And it takes money to learn all these lessons and be prepared. And, you know, go get a mentor and get somebody to help you with it, right? Don't try to be strong-headed like I was and try to figure it out on your own. This is not, like, you're not discovering these stages for the first time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other people have gone through this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no point of you trying to figure out how to do it yourself. Other people have gone through it. You can simply ask and yep. get the advice and get the support and mentorship you need to be able to get through these levels with a little bit less heartache and hopefully, um, less financial impact. Yeah. There you go. That's all I got. Yeah. So um, five years into owning my company, I was presented with an opportunity I thought would propel my company and myself forward in the right direction. I had been networking like a crazy woman for so long, um, five years (laughs) to be exact, that I was known by nearly all of the major and minor businesses in the area. For that reason, I was offered an opportunity to be a shareholder of a brand new networking organization. I poured Mm. my whole self into it and pumped it with so many different ideas I had for what I would want out of a networking group. Um, That, I think, was a huge draw for a lot of people, and our tiny organization began to grow. Problem is, I found my own company began to shrink uh, because I had so little time to give to it. I was leading a local chapter. I was standing in as a very long stand-in lead for another chapter, president of another chapter that was 40 minutes away. I went to weekly meetings with the other shareholders. That was also 40 minutes um, in in another direction. And the meetings were never less than three hours at a time. Uh, I went to every event, which was uh, more time away from my company. And I found I had very little time to give to my family as well. And, you know, this was... To be honest, this was the entire time my daughter, my oldest, was in high school, all four years of her high school. Um, And then my I had a baby there, too, (laughs) at some point. And I had a um, somewhere in between. Yeah. And I had an elementary slash middle school student in in between there, too, my son. And um, all the sports, all three of them are in sports also. I knew what it took to run a business and I tried to implement that into the group. Uh, I shared my own admin, I shared my own bookkeeper um, and I spent countless hours on the processes and procedures. And I mean, I could, I could just keep going on and on. Point is I eventually felt like the weight of the entire organization were on my shoulders and most of the heavy lifting um, was my responsibility as well. I burned out after a few years and I sold my shares for a heck of a lot less than um, I should have. And I found myself with a wealth of knowledge and no energy to expend it. I started to put that level of thought and focus into my own company. And uh, because I didn't have an SOP, I didn't have time to write an SOP for my own company uh, because I was, you know, too busy writing an SOP for somebody else. So, um, I thought, you know, I I don't have anything written down. And considering how much I had given to that organization, my company deserved that much focus as well. So it took Mm. me two years to write everything to satisfaction. And at this point, my company was 10 years old. I recognized while writing everything out, uh, much of my brand was outdated. 
I overhauled the look, the website, the message, everything. And then in year 11, I overhauled the company, what the company does. Um, so now I'm in year 12 and I have a firm message, uh, brand image vision. And honestly, I could walk out right now and no one would notice. I mean, hopefully somebody would notice like, where's Savannah? But, um, like the company could run on its own <laughs> is what I'm saying. Uh, and I honestly, I didn't want to wait until my company was earning uh, millions of do dollars to do that. Although I would love love if my company were earning millions of dollars, but I wanted to build a solid foundation. So when it is, I'm not stressing out about what I don't have prepared for that level of propulsion. I regret not having done these things earlier on, but I also regret having spent so much time on something that I got nothing back from, especially since that took time away from my kids. But I learned a valuable enough lesson. And due to that lesson, it led me to creating this podcast. All things have a great ending, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing, nothing takes the place of experience, right? And no amount of money takes, a, takes like experience is something every business owner has to go through. And these levels, these maturities, this growth, like every business owner has to go through every single level. There's no skipping yeah. a level somewhere in there. You just and, have to. And you know what? I want to also talk about uh, the qualifications of a mentor, a mentor. You know, it's not, it's not that that person has to be like highly successful and like, where am I going to find this mentor from? And blah, 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 blah. Like you and I, I've, I've always felt like you were my mentor because you and I were in the same position mm -hmm. and I could talk to you about things that you would understand. We were both, um, when we met, we were brand new business owners mm. and I could bounce ideas off of you. And since we were in the same field, but not serving the same people, it wasn't a conflict of interest. Mm -mm. Uh, and to this day, I mean, like right before the show, I'm still talking to you about like, hey, what do you think about this idea? Right? Because a, a mentor to me is also somebody who could be a friend who is maybe experiencing the same challenges as you, mm -hmm. but will also have the most, I guess, experienced point of view. I mean, experience mm -hmm. isn't the right word, but qualified, I guess, qualified point of view um, to help you as you grow. Yeah. I think because a lot of what you were saying that you, you've done recently in your business, because I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a distraction, I guess, as you did, you know, I started doing that in year three, four and five of my business. Right. So essentially I just ended up mm -hmm. getting the experience ahead of you. That's all it was, which was, you know, which I was more than happy to share about, right? Because if anything, I'm just kind of like, well, watch out for that pothole. Don't fall into that trap. Don't yes. do this. Don't forget to think about this because this will come back and bite you. And that's what I'm saying is that's all experience. And, you know, mind you, like, I'm grateful. I compressed it in a short period of time. But I guess I'm also telling our listeners that it was incredibly stressful. Probably not the best thing to do if, you know, if, if you don't want that stress, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for myself, if I had a mentor who's gone through it that I felt like I could talk to and be able to point things out for me, like it, it would make the journey so much easier, right, mm -hmm. um, to do it. So, I mean, I was more than happy and actually incredibly honored that you think me as a mentor because I'm just like, please <laughs> learn from my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a bit of, uh, hey, when you go down that road, make sure you miss that pothole. It was a lot of that, too. So, you know, yes. And, uh, you know, it does help if you have somebody who is yeah. uh, maybe a few steps higher than you. Uh, but it also is nice to be able to talk to somebody who is in the same place as you, um, maybe a few steps 
ahead of you. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history. And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. So I'm not really sure how famous this person is. Um, but I mean, it doesn't take away from what he was able to achieve. So I kind of randomly, um, in, you know, getting ready for this particular episode in part of my research and just my prep work, I came across the YouTube channel of this gentleman whose name is Sean, um, Hannah, I think his last name is, I'm probably butchering it. So I apologize, but I know his first name is Sean. Cause that's what he said. Um, <laughs> but anyways, he is the uh, founder and CEO of athlete spelled A F L E T E and Jen flow. And his kind of like quick synopsis is that in 18 months, he was able to reach $10 million in revenue. And in five years, he crossed over $100 million, which that's what wow. I was saying is even if he's not famous somewhere, I feel like, you know, his what he's done is amazing. That's incredible. So according to his own story, which he, again, he puts out on YouTube, and we're going to link in our show notes below, he started out his career as an accountant. <laughs> And so he went to school, got got a job as an accountant, was doing an accounting job, which, of course, all his family, his family and his parents approved of until he decided to leave and develop, develop something in, I believe it's an actual app that he was trying to develop. Now, the thing that got me was into his own admission is he had no experience in anything software related, app related, or even entrepreneurship at all when he decided to go this route. He basically was following um, bodybuilders.com at that time. And he was inspired by it about how, like, you know, they're putting out all this information on the website to, you know, help people get healthier and fitter online. And he wanted to see if he could develop the same thing, but in a mobile app development, like environment, mm -hmm. sorry. So he got inspired by that. So he actually did quit his job and put his full focus into learning how to code, which, you know, blows my mind. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's something people can just randomly pick up, but apparently he did without any prior experience. And he ended up developing an app called Num Num and Num and and U M N U M Num 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 Num. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. I'm Anyways, <laughs> I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. Um, but so essentially, that was what you know he developed what he wanted to do, which is basically an application where people can kind of show you know information and show pictures about how they can get healthier and get uh, more fit online. Now. What happened is surely like after he developed this like application, he noticed that Instagram was getting really popular in the fitness space as well. And this was actually causing his customers not to return to his app because honestly, Instagram did a lot of the same things that his app did. Except Instagram started out as more of a focus for photographers, like more photo stuff. And then eventually they, you know, expanded out once they realized they, they were really onto something. So what he did was he was like, all right, I'm going to double down on all my marketing for the business. You know, I guess I just need to get out there more. And he actually started really like working hard, pounding the pavement to try to pursue more funding to actually help develop his app further. Um, unfortunately, the uh, sad end to that story was the fact that it didn't work and the whole app failed. Okay, that but, explains why I can't find it because I'm like, all of this is about food. Well, right. N-O-M, N-O-M is about food. I think his is N-U-M, N-U-M. Yeah, I was looking N-U-M. But the app's gone, so it's, it's not Yeah, there. so I'm not going to find it. So there's that. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so then he decided 
then he sat around and he, you know, you know, had a point of reflection of like what he's going to do, right? Like this is the point that I think most business owners get to either, even if you didn't like fail, fail in a business, business idea you have, but you do get a point of inflection where you have to decide, do you power through or do you, you know, close up shop and then go back to your life of being an accountant or whoever you were before you mm-hmm. started this entrepreneurship Whatever journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then he decided that he's going to, he's going to go through it. Right. And so he thought about being able to combine the ability to share, which is what Instagram was doing with the ability to sell online. So then he created athlete, which is a F L E T E that you can Google and find. <laughs> I, I will do that now. And then um, eventually that grew to be GenFlow. So I, I don't know if he either rebranded or slightly changed kind of what he was doing. I didn't really get that deep into it, but I do know that the general premise of it is that it helps influencers build their own brand and allows them to sell their products on their platform. And um, Athlete is, I think, what he started with that hit about $5 million, And then with a combination into GenFlow, that hit about $100 million five years later. Wow. Here. So did you find it? Right? really exciting to my dog apparently can you hear my dog i think your dog is really excited to hear about this but um the great thing is he is kind of somewhat he started doc i mean he started documenting after he kind of hit his milestones but now he has a youtube channel where he's kind of documenting like uh for example like he has a video that says you know what happens in a day of a you know a hundred million dollar business and it kind of goes through his day or what happens in a week of a ceo running a hundred million dollar business and a lot of the background info I was sharing here was actually part of his own video about how he built a $10 million business in 18 months. So I think it's really, really honest, really, um, you know, really transformative kind of insight into someone yeah. who did it and who's willing to share with everybody how it was done. This is very cool. You're impressed. I am impressed. Although Logan Paul is on here too. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely put the links I'll put the links to his three videos that I recommend but of course I'll lead you to his channel so you know care to yeah. like it follow it but I, I think it's great and super I think it's super inspiring yeah that is very cool well I've got two to share with you today and only one is still in business dun 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 hmm. um, uh, uh, we'll add the link in the show notes for the whole article that I researched for this section, because there's a lot of once great companies to learn from on what not to do. So I just, I picked one. Um, do you remember the crumbs bake shop? Do you remember crumbs? Is that local? Uh, well, at one point it was, it was the biggest cupcake retailer in the world. Um, oh no! Okay. Had, I'm thinking crumbles or something. That yeah, that's you're thinking. Around, so yep, you're yeah. that. Yep, I I thought the same thing because I was like, hang on, they didn't close all of their shops. There was there's one not too far away from here. Crumble crumbs, not the same thing. Um, anyway, oh, so, delicious cookies. My gosh, right? so just waiting for the next person to have a birthday or something just so I can get a whole box of cookies to bring with me so I can have some cookies. I know they're so good. Okay, I'm hungry. Anyway, um, Inc. had listed it as one of its fastest growing companies, and boy, was it ever! The com- the cupcake chain was growing exponentially. It opened dozens of stores in multiple cities worldwide, but that kind of growth was too much, too quick. Although cupcakes and cake pops were all the rage in the early 2000s, the novelty died off 
eventually, and the company, rather than reinventing, kept pushing to open new locations. Physical retail locations are very expensive to maintain, and if the right support isn't there, it will, well, crumble. (laughs) No pun intended. Crumbs went into bankruptcy in 2014, then it was brought back out, but sadly, it wasn't enough to bring them back to full form. They weren't fully baked. And they closed all locations in early 2017. I am cracking me up today. You Uh, are cracking yourself up today? I am chuckling. I'm chuckling. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just a little slow. So I'm going to blame it on the fact that, you know, the cold, haven't been sleeping right. I'm a little slow on uptake. So I apologize. I will find this hilarious when I hear, listen to it later today when it goes live on on, on podcasts. Uh, We're going to end on a happy note or rather a kind note. Uh, Kind Snacks had some rough times. They tried to grow faster than the company was ready for. Fortunately, the owner and founder, Daniel Lebetsky, he halted the growth which I think was a very smart move. Uh, He went back to the drawing board to build. Yes, very much so. He went back to the drawing board to build the perfect snack and the perfect growth chart to go with it. He sought funding and was able to secure $20 million from VMG Partners. His company grew consistently until 2014, and then he was able to buy back his company fully, uh, for $220 million. So what can we learn from these two examples? So from what the article on Entrepreneur says, growing too quickly can be as problematic as growing too slowly. Expansion is a good thing as it brings more revenue and more opportunities, but a company needs to be scaled at a reasonable pace. Entering a market before you understand it Spending money you don't have and making too many assumptions about the future can all negatively impact your chances of success. So try to take things one step at a time and grow your company with deliberate patience. It will pay off. So patience is a good word for it. It really is. Yeah. Sometimes you can't force it. Like you kind of, like I said, you can't, you can't skip through the stages, right? And I think a lot of people have that misconception that they need, they can skip through it or somehow, yeah, well, actually just skip through it. I mean, you can accelerate it uh, like I tried, which just like I said, could be a very stressful endeavor. But, you know, you can't you can just have to be patient and learn, learn through it one at a time. Although really quickly, I do want to clarify this idea of growth, right? Because I think most people think, oh, you have to grow, you have to grow, you have to grow. And they're just thinking dollar value, dollar value. Like I yeah. have to bring in more revenue, I have to be bigger. But honestly, I would care to argue and clarify that you can grow in other ways. You know, you can make your business of a higher quality. And that's growth, right? It becomes quality over quantity. That's growth. You don't necessarily need more people or more revenue to grow, but you can still grow an organization in just various ways. And I think what gets a lot of people in trouble and this, um, um, I don't know, I've heard somebody throw out the term like toxic hustle culture, which I don't even know if this is relevant to what we're saying. But I guess the premise what I was getting at was the fact that you had to push, 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 got to get bigger, 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 you know, you got to keep getting out there. I think growth is always associated with a dollar value. And that's not always the case. You know, you, you grow as a business owner, right? You grow your people, you grow, uh, you grow um, how they approach their career and what your business stands for and what your brand and what your reach is. But that doesn't always necessarily equate to dollar value because mm-hmm. you can be a $10 million company with 10 clients 
quality mm-hmm. clients that'll, you know, you can stick with or retain and you have people who work for you for 10, 20 years, or you can be a $10 million company constantly churning like clients out, turning over both your customers and your employees. And yes, it looks like you have a lot of, you know, volume and numbers, but you're not really getting anywhere and you're not really growing. Yeah, I certainly know clients like that, or rather businesses like that, where uh, growth is not ex- so much an expansion as it is maturity. So, yes, I like that. Maturity. Yeah. Maturity. Uh, okay, so with each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. Okay, so I have a couple pieces of advice, but they're not actually from me. We'll link the actual, um, we'll link the uh, articles in the show notes below. It's from rocketspace.com. And essentially it's what ten, what what $10 million tech entrepreneurs wish they've known before they started. Mm. So as you would imagine, that's probably pretty good uh, insight oh, yeah. and reflection. So just a couple, like a few that I picked out that I thought was incredibly uh, relevant was work smarter, not harder. Um, the uh, founder of Predictable Profits, Charles Galdet II, said that he grew up hearing things like the secret to success is hard work, the early bird gets the worm, and he took that literally. He woke up at 3, 3.30 a.m. every morning. Kudos to you, man. No. Um, <laughs> so that he didn't oversleep, and he worked every waking hour of every day. And so there was one thing he wished he learned when he started his first company was the concept of working smarter. That's the difference between someone in the same industry working 80 hours a week and barely scraping by versus another person working half as much yet making 10 times more. So working smarter is about finding leverage in everything you do and growing your business systematically so that you can experience ever grow, ever increasing growth year after year without requiring you to be at the ongoing helm of your business. So I thought that was pretty sage advice. So again, there's a few more other in that article. So I'll, we'll link it in the show notes. So that way you can, um, you can also review it as well. Yep. Um, the other, the other article I found that was particularly good. Sorry. What'd you say? No, I said, yep. <laughs> awesome. Um, the other thing I found particularly good was, uh, from entrepreneur.com and it was an article about five things. No one tells you about, uh, running a million dollar business. So I figured that would be a pretty good reflection as well. And the last thing I would recommend is I actually have a demonstration. Oh, can you see it? Can you kind of see it? Oh, maybe. There you go. How How I I built built this. this. Yes. So uh, you probably heard of the podcast, How I Mm -hmm. Built This by Guy Raz. And of course, he wrote a book, which I am loving. And I'm not going to lie, I have my library edition of it here. (laughs) Uh, But yes, love this book. Again, wonderful um, insights and anecdotes um, and written by Guy Guy Raz, which he's just just really good as a writer and also as a podcast host, Uh, which is really funny because he actually mentioned in here that early on in his career, he actually got like a note back on producer that says that he doesn't have the chops to be any kind of like radio host. (laughs) he doesn't even have the face for radio (laughs) poor guy yeah i'm like oh well that person's wrong um but of course it has a lot of great anecdotes and stories um if you haven't heard their podcast like it's still a great podcast and Mm -hmm. the book is really great i'm just kind of working through it and 
it interviews, you know, of course, the really pop, like really big companies we know, also some lesser known companies, but certainly about how they got started to getting to where they are. So mind you, a lot of these companies are over 50 million, 100 million, and even more. But still, I think you'll notice the theme is that they all had to go through those stages. Savannah, you mm-hmm. had talked about. There was, again, like I was saying, there was no shortcut. You had to go through it one way or the other, and they all did. So I thought that would be a good recommendation for our topic today. I agree. Uh, in my search, I found a super awesome link for tools, platforms, et cetera, to help with rapid growth. There's literally 180 of them. So I'm not going to mention them all. We'll just have it listed in the show notes. The webpage has listed in it great CRMs, automated email creators, shipping platforms, banner makers. I mean, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on. I I uh, bookmarked it for myself so that I can take a look and see if there's anything in there that I could benefit from too. Uh, scroll through their suggestions and take a look at, at it for yourself. Um, even though I'm familiar with some of those options, the ones that I'm familiar with, I would say absolutely they are phenomenal. Uh, so this is me, it's meetanders.com best tools for business growth. Um, fan- fantastic. I'm so happy that I found this. Uh, aside from those suggestions, I would say the biggest time saver for me was connecting my processes uh, using Zapier. Is it Zapier or Zapier? I don't know. We'll go with Zapier. I call it Zapier, but I've heard it both ways. Yeah. Well, but then the way I see it is like, you can't say I'm going to zap something. Like you can't say I'm going to zap something. Zape so it's something. like, it's got to be zap, right? I'm going to go with it. Right. Um, that's what people, I mean, that's what you call it, right? When you have a zap yeah. in between like two, two yeah. applica- like applications, I'm going to say there's a zap in the middle. So I'm like, well, you don't say if there's a zape, so it must be zapier. That's true. I mean, my logic works, right? I agree. Um, anything mm. you can think of that that could be automated can be created with Zapier. It's cut a ton of time off of my onboarding. And it's been great for when I'm super busy and I tend to forget steps. Like I literally have it set up in ways where I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about X, Y, and Z. And, and then come to find out, oh, not find out, but then I'm like, oh, wait, my Zapier has it already set up. So I don't even have to think about that step anymore. Um, you should look into this very smart tool to help your processes grow as quickly as your company does. I pay, I have a paid version of it. The free version gives you a lot of great um, opportunities, but the paid version is, is a very minimal amount to, to pay for a month of usage. It is phenomenal. So definitely utilize it. It will help when your company is rapidly growing. So Hmm, I agree. And you can't quite invest in that all in one software yet. That's going to cause you tens and thousands of dollars every year. For sure. For sure. This is, this has been so far a very, very good connector to all of the things that I do use. And, um, between all of them, I still feel like I get a whole lot of bang for my buck. Uh, so, and I'm not going to mention them because I pretty much mention it in every episode. Process Street. Uh, I use Process Street and Zapier together. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So if you guys are listening. I'm here. You know how to find me. Uh, Please join us for our next episode where we will be discussing the services you should spend your business's money on 
and the services you can wait on. Kind of feel like it's going to be a nice compliment to this episode uh, because we're talking about growth and um, what kind of services. And, and we're not just talking about like people services. We're talking about apps. We're talking about tools. So we're going to expand a little bit more on that conversation. So please show us your support by following us on your preferred podcast platform, social media, and on YouTube. <laughs> We'd love for you to also share our, share our episodes. All of our links are posted below. You know, if you watch us on YouTube, you can see all of the fun things my eyebrows do when I'm talking. <laughs> or in this episode, how I am ineffectively sometimes muting and not muting myself and realizing <laughs> that I'm on mute when I didn't mean to be on mute. And eh. we'll figure it out. Eh. We're getting there. We're, we're <laughs> Listen, we're, we're growing just like you are. And we're maturing right now. <laughs> right now. We're still in that startup phase. We're still, we're still to toddlers and so there we are. Anyway, <clears throat> all of our links are posted below. So until next time, mind the business behind your business because all great successes start small. Bye. <laughs>